Well, as a number one, sometimes it's hard to find motivation, especially to put yourself in the role of underdog. But the number one team in the country got a bit of a snub this morning when the selection committee announced its midseason top 16 and gave Gonzaga the fourth and final number one seed behind Villanova, Kansas, and Baylor. Who would have thought you'd be disappointed with a top seed? But Gonzaga finding motivation tonight against St. Mary's, first place on the line in the WCC. Silas Melson capping off a 9-0 Gonzaga run here in the first half. Zags take a 19-9 lead. St. Mary's would eventually tie it up at 23-23, but the Zags come back. Shemek Karnowski, two of his 15 first-half points, pushing the lead back to 7. And then Jonathan Williams... Driving and getting the running hook. That ends a 17-2 Gonzaga run. Bulldogs led by nine at the half. But here come the Gales in the second. After a defensive stop, they get it to Calvin Hermanson in transition. This three makes it a five-point game, 49-44. But that's as close as this one would get. Here's Silas Melson again out in transition in the corner for three. His second of the night, he had 12 points off the bench. Shem helping putting the finishing touches on this one. He had a team high 19 points to go with nine rebounds as Gonzaga wins 74 64. Four players in all scoring a double figures in this one. 18 straight wins decided by double digits. Zags improved to 26 0. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Throughout my life, I have never believed in wishing good luck before a competition. I just felt disingenuous. So I did not wish the Gonzaga Bulldogs and my illustrious partner, Gus, good luck because I didn't mean it. I I don't want them to shoot 70% from the field. I I don't want them to make 15 three-pointers. I hope they have bad luck. So what I usually did when I was coaching or competing is I would say compete well or play hard. But after the battle's over, I believe you should be honest and sincere. Gus, Gonzaga, is a better team than St. Mary's, top to bottom, A to Z, front to back. Well done. Congratulations. You kick St. Mary's, Fanny. Well, I had nothing to do with it. We just like to thank the Ga- uh, Gales for showing up and hosting an amazing party for well, everybody you, to take well, part Well, you in. kicked my Fanny, my friend. <laughs> hey, listen, good evening. 
Good morning. Good afternoon. Happy Valentine's Day out there, everybody. We love whatever your personal method of consumption is of the Screen the Screener podcast. We're fabricating this college basketball listening experience on the evening of February 13th, 2017. We hope to aid in your commute to and fro. Be the soundtrack while you grab those last day fla- uh, Valentine's Day flowers for your loved ones. Or hope that you caught a glimpse of Comet P45. So thankful Very humbled and honestly honored to chat NCAA hoops with you, Mike, and our ever-expanding audience. So we just want to say hello out there, at MJ underscore, go Gales. I hope you caught some of that crazy West Coast atmosphere. It looked great out there. And ahoy out there, at Deja Crew 423, Rock Chalk, Chayhawk. Welcome, y'all. Glad to have you. We're glad to have you. And that Gonzaga-St. Mary's game, I will tell the fans because I tell them pointless stuff about my life. Um, I was driving back from the in-laws. So I was watching the game on the cell phone. Um, It was on the the, the dashboard. I was not watching it while driving. Let's make that clear. Uh, My wife was forced to watch it too. We had no radio on, of course. Uh, And she goes to me, how come the Gonzaga number just keeps going up and the St. Mary's number doesn't move? And then I would get excited, uh, Gus, while I was heading through Connecticut as it was tied at one point. And I didn't know at the time that Nigel Williams-Goss was in foul trouble. Had I known that, I probably would have no hair left because I would have went ballistic when they were losing at half. Um, But then that's what Gonzaga does. They're balanced, Gus. They have great scoring. Shemek was fantastic inside. They're well coached. They're, They're deep. They have bigs off the bench. They are a great, great basketball team that you correctly predicted is going to the Final Four. And I have to tell you right now, you're looking pretty darn good. Uh, I, I loved watching this game. And I was nervous watching this game. Because, Mike, everything you wanted to have happen from a St. Mary's point of view actually happened. You mentioned William Nigel Goss having first-half foul troubles. We had actual an actual injury scare from head chef Big Shen. We had an off game from Jordan Matthews. A usual very reliable 39% shooter from deep and an additional off game from jo- Josh Birkins from deep. He shoots at 42% from deep. Minimal impact from the Zags. Big frosh. Collins only had six points until he actually was scoreless. It was a hyped atmosphere. It was hot. It was bananas. And the Gales were ready to give them everything that they could handle. Even with all of those weather vanes waving in the favor of the Gales, the Zags still had control of the first half. They played at the pace that they like to play at, scoring about 40 points without their leading scorer for about 10 minutes in the first half. And our preview of the Zag bigs playing well early and then forcing the Gales to adjust and maybe slough off and help out from the perimeter uh, actually came true. But the Zags did not need that second part of the screen, the screener prediction, hitting some threes. With that additional space in the second half, they only needed to shoot eight threes overall in the game, which is a little bananas. You got you want to hear some stats from the weekend comparing Gonzaga's three-point shooting to other like nationally ranked teams? Xavier and Nova, when they played, both teams shot over 23s. Texas Tech and Kansas, both teams shot over 23s. Louisville shot 28 threes against Miami. Even Baylor and TCU shot 18 threes apiece in their game. And then Maryland and Ohio State combined to shoot for over 45 threes in their matchup. To keep this in perspective, the Zags only shot eight all game. 
this underrated stat tells you all you need to know and how dominant they were on the inside and how efficient they were with their offense. Mike Randall's mantra of have bigs, will travel was never more true than this weekend. When you are the undefeated number one ranked team in the nation and you basically have no need for one of the game's largest game-changing trends, you're good. You're really, really good. Gus, I'm looking at the shot chart right now. Uh, I actually probably had this on the ceiling in my bedroom out of frustration. Gonzaga is so underrated. They can score any way possible. The only team in the country that I think mirrors them in their ability is your Comet sighting of UCLA. They can score inside. They have millions of colored-in blue circles in the key. They have several colored-in blue circles you know, at the foul line extended. They don't have that many, as you mentioned, from three-point range, but they score, they drive, they drive baseline, they get offensive rebounds. Shem was feeling he had a little swag going down the court. And you're right, they did everything St. Mary's needed happened. That is 100% correct, and they were down nine at the half. The ball game over. And then, of course, we have to have Jock Landell, Hackman, by the way. His new name is Hackman Landell. He's good for fouls all the time. And it's frustrating because... Listen, the freedom of motion thing we've been harping on, right? But teams are learning how to do it. Kansas learned how to do it when they were playing without, uh, without Bragg, Carlton Bragg, and, and they lost Azubuki. Landell needs to be on the floor. He came back in in the second half. I saw the second half. And then he comes back and he starts scoring. It's too little too late. Uh, kudos to you. Kudos to Gonzaga. They're the real deal, Gus. As diverse an offense as anyone, they scored inside-outside. They have great leadership, a great coach. They're wonderful to watch. Nigel Wundergoff was in foul trouble. They're still up nine. Landell, who again, Hackman Landell, the two games against Gonzaga, two games he's in foul trouble. They even said on the telecast, he had 24 and 8, yet he only played 25 minutes. If yeah. they're going to have a prayer to beat the Zags, he's got to have 30 points in, in, in a double double. The Gales are just not as deep as the Bulldogs. Gonzaga's great. They're deserving a number one seed. They will be undefeated heading into the NCAA tournament. You can book that one to the bank. You can take it, book it. Great job, Gus. Hey, here's my final thought on this game. Karnowski, the head chef for Alpha Undefeated Pie, looked like the best player on the floor in the first half. I'm just so happy to see him healthy, successful, and focused. If you remember back and you look in the rearview mirror, last year, debilitating back injury, so bad that he had trouble getting up out of bed, needed surgery. So it is amazing the transformation that he's made. And Hey, did you catch that Jay Williams did his game? I did. Day, I saw it. Jersey yeah. pick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he went ahead with the St. Mary's, and they worked in like a Del Vadova video, which was really cool uh, to jazz it up a little bit. But for some reason, Jay had on a chef hat and a chef apron as well. Do you think that Jay Will was hedging his bet a little bit? A little homage to Alpha Undefeated Pie's Grillmaster P, Karnowski? I'm just saying. Maybe Jay was onto something. And not really showing his true colors for his pick. It's so true. And how about our boy Seth Greenberg? Seth Greenberg's on the podcast. He calls us gurus. Okay? It's possible that while he's sitting there, he's going, hey, you hear about Screen the Screener podcast? And maybe Jay Will, you know, one of those long rides or plane rides, maybe download a little Alpha Undefeated Pie, maybe. Huh? I, I think it's possible, folks. Anything is possible. And if you think it's possible, why don't you let us know about it? You can contact us at sdspodcast at gmail.com. Please tweet us at SDS Podcast. And most importantly, everybody, if you like what you're hearing and we're doing it for free, 
We're putting it out there for you. We're working hard. You know what you can do to pay us back? Go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us how much you love the podcast. It takes a couple seconds, and that will be your payment for listening to Gus and myself give you all the information on college basketball. Thank you in advance, listeners. On with the rest of the rundown. What do you say? Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's hit some news and notes, shall we? News and notes from the hardwood. All right. So in place of the John Denver sighting, let's call this a Mothman sighting. We'll go a little, <laughs> little cryptozoology on you, right? And we'll say, uh, you know, West Virginia, uh, number 13, takes out Kansas State, 85-66. Uh, Javon Carter, 19-9 and for the Mountaineers. And you know what? Too many fouls in this game. The reason that the too many fouls like showed up like very apparently was that we know that Coach Huggins has like the Seattle Seahawk approach to his press defense, and he says that like oh you know the refs can't call a foul or a penalty every time so let's push the envelope and see how much we can get away with. Well, they didn't get away with very much this game. Fifty-five fouls later, the refs took control of the game. Lots of whistles. Nice second-half surge from West Virginia on both ends of the floor here made the difference after a close first half that saw K-State fight all the way back after being down early. It's those surges from Press Virginia that makes you big, a dream big things for them in March. But the inconsistency drives you bananas. Listen, I love fantasy football. Most importantly, I love NCAA basketball. What my personality is, Gus, and I think this is what you do, and I think this is what hopefully our listeners do, as the year goes on, you you get an idea of what you believe in about a team. Because we're going to do a prediction. We're going to do the brackets. We're going to watch. It's the best time of year. It's Christmas in March, the whole thing. West Virginia just wore down Kansas State, who was only down 650-44 with 13 minutes left. This game has put a nail in the coffin, in my opinion, of what West Virginia can do. A 19-point win that was really closer than that for most of the game. This reinforces my concerns about West Virginia, Gus. 30 fouls at home. Where you get a better whistle. Only four made three-pointers. Four of 12 at home where you shoot better. If you have eight guys that can lead you in scoring any given night, in my opinion, you have no guys that can lead you in scoring. The Mountaineers have shown me too many loosey-goosey basketball games at home. Wait until they're on the road with 30 fouls and not making threes. Tonight, they're beating Kansas in true form because I thought Kansas was going to explode tonight and beat them. Gus, they play like a Wichita State in the tournament, they're not going to be able to press them. Maybe they won't make their threes. For me, I'm tabbing West Virginia for an early round exit right now. Opponent unseen. That would be a disturbing trend considering what happened to them in the tournament last year. I am on board with you, but for different reasons. I think their volatility uh, and their peaks and valleys is not going to transfer well to success in March. Uh, We can get into that a little bit later on. Not in this particular podcast, but as we get closer to March Madness of what we think trends moving forward might favor certain teams or hinder certain teams. I think any the more volatility you have during your season, the more ebb and flow, like the, the, the bigger the peaks and the valleys, I think the, the, the bigger trouble you're going to run into in March. So, so basically, Gus, your, your view on West Virginia with me is my favorite one of my favorite cliches of all time, right church, wrong pew, is what you're saying about West Virginia. Oh, yeah, very much so, of course. I, yeah, I think I'm behind you a couple rows, but I think we're, I think we're hearing the same preacher. I would, I would make that the title of the podcast, but no one's going to listen then, so i got to come up with a better title than right church, wrong pew, but go ahead. It could work. 
uh, it could open us up, open us up to a whole brand new audience. I mean, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Evangelist, I, I say you do something with Mothman over the pews. Yeah, yeah, sure. but Mothman's better. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, number seventeen, Florida gets past Texas A and M, seventy-one, sixty-two. That's six straight wins for the Gators. Does it seem that the Gators share a little bit of a similarity with the Zags? You just never know who's going to lead them in scoring from game to game. And here it is again, the Gators. Justin Leon had 18 points. Uh, John Ibunu had a double-double. This unpredictableness with its scoring leaders is certainly one of the effects of the supreme coaching that's happening at Florida, putting every player in a position to succeed every time they step on the floor. Also, it speaks to the unselfish nature of the whole entire team. No one's getting caught up with their own stat line in the game. They're just worrying about the singular stat, the win. The fact that the Gators' second-leading scorer comes off the bench every game, Barry, only starts to tell the story of the unselfishness that the Gators uh, experience pretty much every practice and every game. Two other cool nuggets from this game. Barry is now the Gators' record holder for most consecutive made three throws in a season. Underhanded, of course. Uh, breaking Teron Green's mark that he had back uh, in those back-to-back uh, championship wins. Ah, that's, uh, a good, that's a good memory. Good name, but, yep. Right, he was a little point guard that we all liked. And did you see uh, Chris Chios' audition tape for the Harlem Globetrotters or the N1 mixtape tour? Like, with it, when he was trying to recover that loose ball? That dude was good. He was, like, dribbling the ball with one hand and spinning around, holding himself with the other hand and on his knees. And he needed some knee pads, that's for sure. Uh, I was pretty impressed with him. He's been playing out of his head anyway, but that was like a cool little uh, highlight that may or may not have made SportsCenter but showed his skills. The dude is good. That's the second. Florida, Florida is good. That's the second reference we've had to the N1 mixtape. Kermit Davis referenced the helicopter and now this. Uh, well, we, right. we need more N1 mixtape references. Yes, we do. Uh, Gus, really nice win for Florida. Taking care of business at home. You mentioned they may they may have some trouble with Texas A&M and you were totally right. Ten minutes left to go in the game. Texas A&M. Texas A&M is up on the road, 42-41. Gators got out-rebounded, Gus, as you predicted, 40-34, to and they held yep. the Gators to 39% shooting from the field at home. But there's a difference between Florida and West Virginia. You're right. Anyone can lead them on any night in scoring, and Barry's coming off the bench. You know, I had an issue last year with, with Paige coming off the bench for West Virginia as a leading scorer. Right. But this is different. Florida's disciplined. I love what Mike White is doing down there. These are the games that top 25 programs have to win. West Virginia gets bad losses. They can't beat the state of Oklahoma at home. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Bad losses. They they beat an inferior opponent when they didn't play their best, and they got a nice nine-point win for the top 25 team. I love what he's doing. He's disciplined. This team plays defense. They rebound. They don't turn the ball over. Casey Hill had five turnovers, but he's a little up and down. But the rest of the team usually doesn't. I love what he's doing. Nice win for the Gators. Number 21, Maryland, stops its two-game slide with a nice 86-77 win over Ohio State. You know what? You are now immersing yourself into the Big Ten. What did we learn from this matchup, Mike Randall? Yeah, uh, now, for those we mentioned it last time, I'm writing for BT Powerhouse on, on uh, Sports Blog Nation. had my first article out, so I got to watch this game. I did a What Did We Learn? What we learn is, one, Mello Trimble's underrated. And I put this in the article. What he is doing with this team, we go back to the preseason, Gus. We did not think Maryland was going to make the tournament. We were criticizing him. No. I, I said, I, I hope he, he, he gets the tournament. It would be great. 
He has made his teammates feel like they can score. He's made his team around him better. He is as valuable to his team as any player in the entire country. Herter is hits open shots and he gets in the flow. Jackson, all the freshmen, Cowan is playing well, and Mello's there just to take the big shot when he needs to. But because he's doing it without taking the big shot, he'll make a big drive and kick out. He makes the big play. So first thing is, they're underrated. Secondly, Maryland had a huge bounce back win in this game. They had a couple losses. They needed to right the ship. That was a nice, nice win at home that they needed to get. They led the entire game from start to finish. Last one was uh, Ohio State. As much as they're having a down year, and as much as they're not, you know, right now, one of the bracketologies, actually, Fox has them in the, the tournament. I don't think they're making it, but Gus, they are going to be a pain to somebody because they play hard, they rebound, take and score. The big guy, seven-footer in to- uh, Thompson inside can rebound. He's a double-double machine. Ohio State is a team that I think could beat someone in the Big Ten tournament and totally throw off their season or pull an upset on the road. Thad Mata does a great job. They don't have the talent this year, but they're a pain in the rear. So beating them at home is not as easy as you think it is. And going to Ohio State is always very tough. So those are the things we learned. Really impressed with the bounce back. I do think, though, Gus, if Maryland is going to make a run, we got to start up in the points with Trimble. He had 10 in this game, I think. We got to start seeing some 18 to 20 point games because freshmen are freshmen. And he has a great recruiting class, by the way. Did a coach did a great job there. But Trimble's got to start pushing the scoring as we get into some of the close-knit games. But outside of that, big win for Maryland. I like it. Yeah, I think you're, I'm right with you that he's the guy that's got to make the decision-making in the uh, end-game situations. So they're going to put the ball in his hands and trust what he's going to do with it. I would like to see him lean more towards being a little selfish uh, in those situations as opposed to kicking out to somebody like Jackson or Herter. Uh, but I'm with you. I love what they're doing. We did not even have them on our radar at, in during the preseason. We didn't mention them at all. And we were like, again, we're so happy that Melo has come back and is experienced this as a student athlete and finding the success and winning games by himself. And, and it may not be noticeable to the outside onlooker, but you know in that program, he's helping each one of those freshmen improve every day in practice by awesome habits. This is what we did last year. This is what we fell short with last year. This is what we need to get better with this year. So he, I see him as like just another coach on the floor. And what else could you want from your point guard? Uh, number 15, Kentucky, tops a hungry Alabama squad. 68, I'm sorry, uh, 67-58. There was a little bit better D here from the Wildcats, much like last game. They held a huge lead, let Alabama hang around for much of the second half. And this is also a downward trend on O for the Wildcats. This is a team that put up 100 points with high flyers UNC and UCLA. And now, in back-to-back games, Kentucky has scored under 70 points. Much like you with West Virginia, I'm a little wait and see with Kentucky right now. And for once, I think they're under the radar, right? So let's enjoy the quiet that isn't coming from Kentucky. Let's let them be under the radar for a little bit and find themselves. Uh, Mike, what did you see in this game? 
like when you got a flush draw and that flush card comes on the river and in your head you say bingo bango, your analysis was bingo bango spot on with them. I really like what Calipari is doing here and he is not getting the credit he deserves. This is where people don't give him enough credit. His team has tried to outscore everyone routinely and has faltered this year. They lost three out of four games after the blitzing at Florida. So Cal has adjusted. He said, let's go back to stressing defense. He has athletes. He certainly can. Fox, Monk, Briscoe, Bam inside. Great job. I like this move. They are going to pound Tennessee at home on Tuesday night. I think he's finally going to get things going and they're going to roll. Nice job, Rick Barnes. Nice win at home. But this is what you're going to be hearing on Tuesday, folks. That's right. Buzzsaw. He had some injuries. Identity struggle. You are so right. They are under the radar, and they're going to be primed come the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. Speaking of getting primed at the right time, I think we're going to have differing views here. But let's jump over to another team that might be finding itself at the right at the right time of the season. Number 18, Duke, sneaks by Clemson, 64-62. Duke gets, gets by because this was a definite possible hangover game after the huge UNC win. And just think of the lost ground that the Blue Devils would have had if they dropped this tilt. That UNC game would have just disappeared and never existed if they dropped this game. I think this game, this Clemson game, This is where Coach K makes his money, and he continues to build his legend. This is a Mike Randall special, beat the teams you're supposed to beat game, and Coach K might have coached harder in this game than he did in the UNC game if you were paying attention. Duke, for me, is on the complete other end of the spectrum here for Kentucky. I feel like they're a little bit under the radar, but I have to tell you, I'm warming to them a little bit quicker than I am to Kentucky. I like that on any given game, any given night, they may have not the best player on the floor, but they may have the two best players on the floor. And I'm talking about Kennard and Tatum. If you have the best player on the floor, you're always going to have a chance to win the game. But if you have the two best players on the floor, you're going to be tough to beat any night. Again, I, th- I can't believe that these two blue bloods are kind of flying under the radar here. Mike Randall, do you see the same thing I'm seeing, or do you have a differing view? No, about 180 degrees different here, but that's what makes us fun. I'm going the other way. I love Jason Tatum. I think he's fantastic. I don't think he's ever going to be one of the two best players on the floor. I mean, you look at this game, and I love the guy. He's doing a great job. But if you look at what he did here, I think he had, what do he have here? Yeah, he had nine points, seven rebounds. Did a very nice job. But he wasn't even better than Mitchell, who had 23 points. And not just the points. It, he's going to have a big impact, but he still is a freshman. That's my issue. I'm going the other way. Duke just beat Caroline at home in a huge win. Coach K's back. We're fired up. Here comes Clemson. Clemson's been horrific. I have watched the Clemson games because I thought Blossom game was getting first-team All-American. And I wanted to see them make it. I was rooting for them. I thought Bromnell was under a tough spot there with Dabo Sweeney and the whole national title. But they're 3-9 in the ACC. Brommel's getting going to get fired. You can, you can mark that down. They lost six games in a row in a conference. Six. And they lost at Florida State by 48 points. This is a team that all year long, Gus, has started games off strong. They've started off well. And then they fade in the second half. So in this game, Duke is up 11 at half. And they're up 31-18 with 19 minutes left. And then they give up 44 points at home to this Clemson team. 
They got out-rebounded 44-38. Clemson only made two three-pointers. How is Clemson scoring if they've only made two three-pointers and you're home? This is an awful job by Duke. The Duke starters know they have no bench and they're not playing any defense. None. Zip and Pip and Pip left town. It's the Olay defense because they have to. And even with that, Gus, Emil Jefferson is still in foul trouble. Last four game, last five games, four fouls, four fouls, two fouls, five fouls, and four fouls. I'm going the other way. I think Duke's in trouble. I'm very, yeah. con- I'm very concerned about this team getting to the Sweet 16, let alone past it. I don't think I'm overreacting because of Hicks plays in that UNC game, and I think you agreed with me, Duke loses, period. Agreed. That would have made them 19-6, and six, Gus, and 8-5 and five in the ACC. Jaleel Okafor ain't walking through that door. Elton Brand ain't walking through that door. Coach Patino, you know what I'm saying, right? Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. And Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And as soon as they realize that those three guys are not coming through that door, the better this town will be for all of us. Exactly. Gus, I don't think any help's coming. I think their bench is going to be weak all year. I think Kennard is fantastic. I think Grayson is starting to get himself under control. And I love Jason Tatum. I'm with you. But this is a team that is not deep, and therefore they're not playing great defense, and they have no inside game. I just can't get my head around a team that can't play tough defense because of foul trouble and has no post presence beating some of these big teams. I think they're in big trouble. I have to tell you, I think I'm leaning the other way here. I really like what is coming around, and I think we have, much like we're kind of waiting on Kentucky and watching them kind of morph into this little this, this different anomaly than they were in early in the season, I, I think that Duke is going to go through that same metamorphosis here. And I think they're going to come out on the other side a little bit better. And maybe this is one of those like ugly games that they needed to learn from. I, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but I think they have too many pieces and too keen of a coaching staff for anything but that to happen. So that's what I, I'm trusting the talent and I'm trusting the coaching staff and I'm trusting both of those things working in concert to get this thing right. Hey, you know what, listeners? Mike and I owe you an apology. We just wanted to say we're sorry. We advise you to take Louisville over Miami and not worry about the 10-point spread. We're sorry that they didn't cover. Very sorry. Louisville still does get the win, 71-66. But we didn't mean to mislead you this weekend with our fishy lines. We'll get one right for you this week. Don't worry, listeners. Louisville was down most of the game, and they had to rally late. Quentin Snyder's return was just what the Cardinals needed here. He had 13 points in his first game back. And if you're watching the game, he hit a gigantic three with just under a minute to play to help seal the deal for the Cardinals. Again, sorry we missed this one for you, listeners. Uh, we're still 12-4 and four on the season. Stick with us. We'll have a few more games this week to keep an eye on. Louisville, as proved by the overtime win, has a tricky game with Syracuse in upstate New York, and they just squeaked that game out in overtime. Mike, do we feel like Louisville is on the right track? Do we feel like they still have to iron out some wrinkles? What are we feeling with the Cardinal? Uh, you know, in the end, we talk about how what you say in your gut, right? And we'll get to this more when we talk about the NCAA preview show where they gave the uh, the preview on the teams. I'm I'm fine with Louisville. I think Louisville is going to be fine. I, I think Larinaga does a great job with Miami. They're going to come in. They play tough. I think Louisville's still rounding into form, getting their pieces together. They only turned Miami, Miami over eight times, which is very rare, especially at home. They only shot 39% from the field. Miami was leading this game almost the entire way, but similar to Florida, great teams find a way to win. So I'm fine with Louisville. Patino always gets the team better. Tricky game, good win for Louisville. Yeah, we thought they were going to cover. They didn't. 
Gus, you're still like at 70% and 12 out of 16 is some, something and say, what is that? Uh, uh, 12, six out of eight. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's 75%. So it's not an issue. The sharps in Vegas love 58%. You're 20% more than them. So no big deal, but it was a tricky game. And I think Louisville survived in advance in this one. Number six, Baylor beats up on TCU. 70 52 this is one we did get right i think we both called for baylor just kind of putting a little beat down on the horn frogs another thing we called for was we called for jonathan motley to play like an all-american last podcast and he did here he scored 25 points on 15 shots something to keep an eye on here baylor staple al freeman has been suspended the past couple of games and this week as well for the of course obligatory like violation of team rules no word on what the exact violation was. So once we once we hear that, of course, we'll we'll get it out to you guys. But stepping in for Freeman is a Mike Randall and Hoops Weiss fave, King McClure. He's played pretty well, but this does limit the Bears' depth uh, depth moving forward. Uh, Mike Randall. Anything from this game that you wanted to share about your Baylor Bears? No, I would have had more to share if Baylor didn't gag it tonight at Texas Tech because I will tell you that. This loss that they had tonight against Texas Tech has basically locked up Bill Self getting his 13th straight Big 12 title, and I'll explain why. Right now, folks, West Virginia is about to beat Kansas in Kansas, all right? But here's the schedule. They go to Baylor on the 18th. Even in my big Baylor you know, fanaticism, that means they'll be tied. So they'll be one game ahead, assuming they lose tonight to West Virginia. Baylor, good win at home against TCU, but they lost to Texas Tech, which means they will be tied, right? Then Kansas finishes up home TCU at Texas, home Oklahoma at Oak State. Gus, that's not a really tough schedule for Kansas. I can't see them losing that game. So to me, any momentum that Baylor got from this win was destroyed tonight with the loss of Texas Tech because they are not going to win the the Big 12 title. And it's it's just frustrating because Freeman leaving is a killer. I think Terry Maston, who at 22, has got to get in the starting lineup. King McClure has not shown the flammable nature that he had in the Louisville win earlier in the year. They're really struggling right now because it's Motley and that's it. If we paid attention to this Texas Tech game that uh, occurred this evening uh, while we were podcasting, it seemed like Coach Beard and Texas Tech might have cracked the code on how to defend Baylor. Uh, Coach Biancardi, who was on the announce crew for this, did an unbelievable job of breaking this down on the broadcast. Kudos to Coach Biancardi. They showed how Texas Tech double and even triple teamed Motley when he got the ball in the low post on the left side and the right side, forcing him to be an able passer. They showed some examples where he was an able passer. But they also showed some examples where he had trouble with the double and the triple team coming from the wing and also uh, the high post. Not only did they turn him into a not-so-great passer, they unlimited his field goal attempts to three in the first half. And if your borderline you know, first-team All-American player has three field goal attempts in a game, I mean, what are your chances of winning that game? Especially when he's your top scorer and you already have another one of your starters out in Freeman. Yeah, well, you, you brought this up to me about Cincinnati and Virginia. When you're a team that plays with minimal possessions, you must be mm-hmm. I- incredibly efficient. And they are not. You take Al Freeman out of this team, you're taking a major piece, even though he'll average like eight points a game. In this game, Madeline LeConte's in foul trouble. Gus, if that happens in the tournament, they could absolutely lose in the first round. 
There totally. is no doubt about it because they're going to double and triple team Motley. Jolo is only good around the basket. McClure isn't making shots. Wainwright should be able to do a heck of a lot more than he does. Their offense struggles. So if they play a team like a, you remember last year Stephen F. Austin that gets after it on the boards? Yeah. That can try to match them a little bit on the boards? They're in a lot of trouble. They have to stay out of foul trouble. They have to get Motley the ball. It's a lot of have tos, have tos, have tos. When they're at full strength, they're very deadly. I think they'll give Kansas a really good game. But I am worried about them because they are matchup dependent now in the tournament. Uh, I totally agree on that. I mean, just think of them playing like think of them playing like a, a Dayton. Dayton would totally give them. Fits. Oh dear lord, that would be a bad bad matchup for Baylor. How about even? Let's go even. Uh, I'm trying to think. How about even like let's say California sneaks in as a low seed. Sure. Like uh, California is unbelievably stout on defense the past ten games. Sure. Like what? What if cat? Like there, there's a whole bunch of scenarios where Baylor is going to run into to- problems. Totally true. And I was right on that Cal game. Arizona never blows anybody out, and they covered that sure. eight and a half. They're big inside. Totally true. I love yeah. Baylor. My heart is with them. I am rooting for them. But Gus, it's about keeping it real here. That little one hundred thing that you can put on your text message. Sorry, poked a little old here. Where you say keep it real, whatever, hundred percent true. Baylor's keep, keep, in, keep it one hundred, Mike. Keep friend. it one hundred. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, know, I apologize. This is it. I'm keeping it one hundred. In fact, that's title. <laughs> the podcast episode. <laughs> keep keep it at one hundred, folks. Baylor is matchup dependent. I could find a way to get him to the final four, and I could find a way with them losing to Yale in the first round again. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and, and visit one of those teams that we were talking about. Uh, how about uh, number three, Kansas, going to Texas Tech? I think we called for this game to go into overtime, if I'm not mistaken. Was that true, Mike? Randall? I think you did. I think you said that. I didn't. I, I know you may have, though. Okay, so we, we smelled here. We smelled OT here, and we almost got it. If Josh Jackson follows his usual trend on the foul line, I think this game might have went to OT. But the very, very special freshman hit a free throw with under three seconds to play to provide the one-point margin for the Jayhawk victory here. Jackson went a little bananas in this game. He went for 31, a career high. He had 11 boards. He had four dimes. And he played all 40 minutes, which is very unbill self-like with his freshman. Um, Keenan Evans missed at the buzzer for Texas, uh, for Texas Tech to pull out the win. Mike... How are we feeling about these Kansas Jayhawks? About the Texas Tech Raiders? Texas Tech doing a great job. Really coming around, playing hard, improving as the year goes on. They're very tough at home. They may be playing themselves with a couple wins. They beat Baylor tonight. They have a good Big 12 tournament. They could play themselves into the tournament. What I, Kansas was an impressive win. This is a tough place to play. They beat West Virginia home. They beat Baylor tonight at home. It's a one-point win. It's a great win for Kansas. Very, very good win for Kansas on the road. Josh Jackson special team is playing well they're just trying to get some bench guys together that's all i gotta say i was a good one for kansas number two villanova garners a nice road win 73 57 in cincy over number 24 xavier we thought this game would be a little bit closer here and unfortunately the reason it wasn't is because of the continued bad luck for xavier the biggie's second leading scorer trayvon blewett had to be helped off the court which would, looks like an ankle injury you couple this with the loss of point guard Sumner, and Xavier has lost both members of a legit like top five or six backcourt in the nation. All I can say to this is just, ugh. I mean, Nova keeps rolling and seems primed for another uh, regular se- season Big East crown, 
but your heart just breaks for Xavier. They were pumped in Cincinnati for this game. They felt like they might have had a chance. And then you see your leading scorer, um, you know, first team all Big East, lock it up. Trayvon Blewett limping off with some help. And that just kind of, it's so deflating. Yeah, you can't. I feel so badly for Chris Mack and Xavier. Nothing you can do about that, Gus. You lose Sumner, you lose Blewett. It's really unfair. Villanova, good win. A win's a win. you got to play who's on the floor. But feel badly for Xavier. All right. And we'll get, to the, we'll get to the brackets that were released on Saturday. But one of the number four seeds that was in the CBS uh, March Madness. Ridic- early- ridiculous, by the way. A little spoiler alert. But go ahead. <laughs> number 22, Butler, falls on the road to the Friars. Careful, Butler. The Bulldogs have dropped three of four, and just might drop from the national rankings this week. You know what I noticed, too? Keelan Martin has to be driving Coach Holtman nuts. He's basically a a preseason, all-Big East, first-team player who Coach has had to sit down a number of times this year. He was kind of a non-factor here with a very nondescript eight points and a very pedestrian 26 minutes off the bench. I don't know the inner workings of why Martin cannot be in the starting lineup and why he can't be more consistent. But obviously, Coach is seeing something that's very detrimental to the Bulldogs' success, and he's using his status as head coach to try to help his team win and set an example. But at the same time, I I wish that Martin would just get it straightened out. The equation here is simple. Martin plays well and is engaged. Butler is a four-seed or higher in March and can literally beat anyone, anywhere, anytime. And if he is very mediocre, then so are the Bulldogs. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, to me, Butler has major, major issues. And it's it's got to be addressed, and no one's talking about it. They're getting a four-seed gust. They're in fourth place in the Big East. Really? Is the Big East the Lakers and the Celtics of the 80s? I, I didn't know that. Uh, Butler has some problems here. They lost at Creighton without Maurice Watson, 75-64. Right. They now, over their last four games, let's take us through it, lost at home to a mediocre Georgetown team, 85-81. Then they lost at home to Creighton again, no Mo Watson. They won at Marquette, and now they've lost at home to Providence. Butler's in trouble. I don't know what's going on. Uh, Brad Stevens ain't walking through that door. This is not the same Butler team with, with Kellen Dunham. I'm worried about him. Yeah, I am too. Again, they have one of the best resumes that they're gonna that they're gonna see in March, and obviously that was rewarded with that four seed in the, in the reveal. But at the same time, they are in a little bit of a tailspin here. They they I think they need to be careful. Another upset that we did not see coming, uh, and we did not get right, was Notre Dame over number fourteen Florida State, eighty two seventy four. We thought that the bigs for Florida State would give the undersized Irish a little bit of trouble, but. I hope they got some room on that all-ACC first team for our guy, Bonzi Colson. The dude had a career-high 33 points and 13 boards, just another double-double for our guy, and he played against a much bigger front, front line. But isn't that what he's done all year? It's just like old hat for Bonzi Colson. He's like, all right, so I have to get matched up against a 6'10 guy? I have to get matched up against a 7-foot guy? Okay, I'll just put up 33 points. You know what? One tweak that Coach Bray went with here in the starting lineup, Mike Randall, was that he stuck in one of your guys' Gibbs, and that paid huge dividends and helped them get the win. Um, did you see anything else from this game that you, uh, maybe would put you down or sour on Florida State? No. Or maybe give you renewed hope for the Irish? A little concern with Florida State because they should not 
the, the, Notre Dame really had this game most of the way, and they really didn't get many contributions from the normal players. It was a very lackluster road effort for Florida State. Big win for Notre Dame at home. Very happy for them. They had a couple tough losses in a row. Colson was absolutely unbelievable. I like Gibbs in the starting lineup. The only problem is Gus, there's no one on the bench. It's Rex yeah. Luger and that's it. But right. good win for Bray at home. Happy for them. I think they're a talented team and they play their guts out. I can still see uh, the point guard diving on the floor, Matt Carroll, getting that ball of Virginia Tech with that big win. So uh, that's it. I, I think Florida State's really good, but they're very similar to Butler. They've had great wins, and they've had terrible losses that make no sense. So it's curious to see where they're going to be seated come tournament time. Now, usually we would give you the West Coast Conference double shot, but since we opened up the podcast with that, we're going to give you a Pac-12 double shot. Does that sound okay, everybody? I, ho- I hope you don't mind the change in flavor. So number nine, Arizona scratches by Cal, 62-57. Mike Randall correctly predicting this. They do no, Like you said, they didn't blow anybody out at home, and the same thing happened again here. They did not blow Cal out at home, and Cal has been playing very well as of late. I think they've won last, uh, their eight out of their last ten. Uh, Mike Randall, what did you see here in this particular matchup? Anything that caught your eye or just a continuing trend uh, with the Wildcats? Arizona, I think, is really good. Just like when I don't like a team like West Virginia, you'll never be able to convince me otherwise. I think Arizona is really good. I know if you just lay it on paper, it doesn't make any sense because the only blowout game we saw was when Trier came back against UCLA. That's really the only game that I've seen them dominate from start to finish. I just think Miller's going to get it right. I think Markkinen's going through a little lull right now. It's fine. He's a freshman, no problem. Um, but listen, this Cal team is coming on strong. They're hot. You know, it's close to a double-digit win at home. Positive for Arizona. Number five. Oregon needed Tyler Dorsey's two huge three-pointers with under three minutes to play to give the Ducks the 80-71 win on the road at USC. USC played them live, but the pace was a little bit more uh, Ducks than USC. I think a nice road win for the Ducks following up a tough loss to UCLA Uh, Any takeaways for you, Mike Randall, on this one? Yeah, good win for Oregon. Happy for him. Bounce back win. They needed it. Uh, Tyler Dorsey made some shots. USC tough at home. Kind of like USC as well. Uh, But Oregon is the real deal. I I think they are a tough, tough team. I don't care about the UCLA loss. I care they were up 20 in UCLA. That's what I care about. Lonzo Ball is going to make 30-footers. They're beating everybody. That's fine. But I, I don't go the other way. I think this is a really good team. I like Dana Altman. You know that. Dylan Brooks. Tyler Dorsey hits big shots, and Jordan Bell's a man. I'm a good one for Oregon. Listen, we need to hit one more spot on Sunday. We did not give the listeners a preview of this game, but this game is worth a rundown from us on the Screen the Screener podcast. The AAC showdown, number 25 SMU, ends number 11 Cincy's undefeated run in conference, 60-51. to Can I play a little fill-in-the-blank with you? Coach Tim Jankovic is what? What is he doing right? Coach Tim Jankovic is doing a great job of building team chemistry and coming up with a style of play that suits a six-man rotation team. He's doing a brilliant job at SMU. They are holding opponents to under 70 points almost all the time with regularity, and this time they held them under 60 points. They have ball handlers all over the floor at all times at every position, and remember – All the way back in Texas Corner in the preview, first Screen the Screener podcast, we warned you about Shake Milton and the Mustangs. We said they were going to be an issue. And more recently, SMU made our stock up list. I'm impressed with them. 
if they stay out of foul trouble in March, they are going to be an issue. They play efficiently on both ends of the floor. Their ball handlers and ability to switch on defense really helps them out. I'm impressed across the board with them. And you know what? Since he had it coming, right? They weren't going to go through the season undefeated in conference, were they? No, kudos to you on this one. You were all over SMU, and I did not like the beginning of the year. I have watched them the last few games. They are really, really good. Semi Ojale is the best player that no one knows in the entire country. He shoots three. He plays like Jordan Bell. He's tough. Love Semi Ojale. He would be on my top five Mike Randall favorite players in the country, and you had him nailed beginning of the year. Kudos to you. Like SMU a lot. And, and that was a good win. Cincinnati played hard. Evans had four threes in the first half. Good, good win for SMU. You know what? I hope that they match up again uh, in the conference finals. That would be amazing. I'd love to see that rematch uh, on a neutral floor. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, but let's get to the NCAA bracket preview reveal show. Mike Randall, I think you were a little bit more dialed in on this than me. So if you don't mind taking the lead on this, and I'll do a little reaction to what you observed and took in. Uh, Does that sound okay to you and the listeners out there? Sure, let's hit that CBS preview music. Yeah, I was so fired up for this, I can tell you. I was locked in. I think this is a great idea. I'm getting crushed on Reddit for that comment. I don't care. It was a look into what they think and how they think. And I will tell you this, Gus. I came away while I'm going to argue they're consistent. And they put a lot of time into this, and it makes a lot of sense. And I heard from people um, both in person and in email and on Twitter all over the place on their thoughts. But let's get to it right now. Really fired up about this. Uh, I have no problem with the teams that were the number one seeds at all. In order, Gus, they're Villanova, Kansas, Baylor, and Gonzaga. Now, I have a small issue, and I'm sure you'll agree. I don't like Gonzaga being below Baylor, okay? I, to me, they're undefeated. They've had some big wins. Arizona, uh, Gonzaga's be a lot of uh, – who else do they play? play I, Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State, of course. Yeah, they've Florida. had – Yeah, no doubt. Florida. So to me, how many, how many times are going to win a game? I mean, seriously. And Baylor lost tonight, so Gonzaga would be ahead of them right now if they redid this. But – I don't right. think Gonzaga is either, but you know what? They put him in the West, so what does it matter, right? I mean, so, and what I got from this, the first thing, people, is location matters. It's like in yeah. real estate. Location trumps the S-curve. So I heard from a Villanova fan that said it's ridiculous. Villanova has the hardest bracket. The way they do it is location trumps it. They don't put the, the best two seed in the worst one seed. They don't do that. Right. It's up to the location. Uh, Villanova being the number one seed is fine to me. They played great. Great schedule, won a Purdue early, beat Notre Dame, went hard at 35. They beat Virginia. They won a Creighton with Mo Watson. Definitely worthy number one seed. No problem there. Second number one is Kansas. I'm fine with that as well. Uh, by the way, they're in over, they're, they got this game to overtime against West Virginia, and they're actually up five. Which uh, They're up eight, and the spread was five, Gus. I wonder if anyone had a bet on that game who's speaking right now. Anyway, uh, you know. Perhaps. Perhaps. So perhaps that's not legal. So why would I do that? Uh, second number one is, is Kansas. Like I said, best conference in the country. Self's going to win his thirteenth. They got to be a number one seed. I still think Gonzaga to be deserved to be the third number one. I'm okay with Baylor being a one at least until tonight because I oh, thought sure. that they were a number one seed. And the guy, the committee, who I think was the Michigan State um, 
athletic director, mm-hmm. said that they thought these were the clear number ones. So it's not like Baylor was sneaking in. Now, this could change things. But basically, I think Gonzaga deserved it. Very happy with that. And the critics say they played no one. It's absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, they also won a Tennessee Gonzaga. That's the one I forgot. And by the way, as Kentucky, that's not as easy. So right. committee Gus was consistent in their approach. They repeatedly excused bad losses if you had big wins. I think unfairly so, but they were consistent. That's why Baylor got the number one, despite the home loss to K-State and the blowout loss on, on West Virginia. Right. I think the committee got the number two seed spot on. They nailed them with UNC, Louisville, Oregon, and Florida State. Now, my only issue, Gus, when this was done was uh-huh. before Florida State lost to Notre Dame. And right. I do think Florida State had a great run, right? They won five or six against the ranked teams. Yeah, they had an unbelievable run in uh, in conference. And that's what it is. When that happens, Gus, they will excuse the loss at Georgia Tech. They will excuse this Notre Dame one. I personally would have dropped them below Arizona on Saturday. But I, I, I had Florida State, I think, as my top three. Okay, so it, it's semantics. But what they've shown, and I don't know what your thoughts are. Tell me. They feel that if you have big wins, you can lose to Chaminade. They don't care. That, that, that's basically what they're saying. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's – I think they're just being realistic. Not – there's only one undefeated team that they're looking at. So everybody's going to have losses. So why not weigh the great wins over the losses? Like everybody's going to get tripped up unless you're Gonzaga this year. So I have no problem with them weighing great wins heavier than limiting bad losses. And, well, because that, everybody has the losses. So yeah, why not pay attention to the highlights and celebrate? I'm, I'm with you on this. Yes. Yeah, but that's my point, man. Everyone has the losses except for Gonzaga. So to me, Baylor had some big wins. Gonzaga had some really good wins. Baylor also had bad losses. Gonzaga did not. And, and I agree with what you're saying. I just think that sometimes the bad losses have to count for something. And they're basically unilaterally excusing it. That, that's my point. But I do agree with you. Yeah, so the other part that I thought was interesting is that I don't think that they necessarily took into account the injury factor or the suspension factor or anything like that. Or maybe they're weighing the Trier thing with Arizona a little differently. I'm not 100% sure. Um, it seems like Arizona could have been on that two line with those teams you just mentioned. So maybe that will go into the equation later. Maybe that will... Maybe that will be part of the evaluation process uh, closer to March. So that's another part that I was uncertain of on how they, how heavily they were weighing that in the seating equation. You know, my man, that's a really good point because I feel like they they said that they counted the injuries, mm-hmm. but then they didn't. Like, yeah. So UNC gets a pass, I guess, losing at Indiana because Joel Berry was just coming back or he got right. hurt. Then I forget. Like, when does it matter? So so if that's the case and UNC gets a two, which I have no problem with, even though, Gus, um, you know, at this point they're 21 and five, okay, and they're getting a two seed. They yeah. just lost at Duke. They also lost at Miami, big with Joel Berry. They lost at Georgia Tech. I, I mean, so you're going to excuse that, but you're going to hold, you're not going to give Arizona credit for winning all those games without Trier. I thought that was a little inconsistent there. It's a, it's a yeah. very, very good point. Um, so. I was surprised, by the way. First of all, Gus, the AP rankings mean nothing. 
No. So you can throw those out the window. The AP yes. rankings are useless. I don't care if you're number one in the rankings. They don't give a darn. But I'm okay with that. I, Me it, too. it was kind of like, you know, okay, we know that the, 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 the assistant manager does the voting. It's fine. Um, I was surprised, Gus, how much they factor travel into the games. Uh, you know what? I, I think you brought this up with Villanova. I, I think that makes sense. It makes sense because those teams can then get their fan bases there. It makes sense uh, monetarily, of course. And it also makes sense to like reward those programs for playing really well. Like, Here's your reward. You get to go to a familiar place that's not eight zillion miles away. Yeah, I think it's a great reward. Totally well said, man. Right on the money. And that's what it is. You know, you and I sit here and we just look at the S-curve and we say, well, how the heck is Villanova as the one seed in the same bracket <laughs> right. as Louisville, Kentucky, and UCLA, by the way? I'll tell you why. Because number one, travel matters. They want to keep teams closer. They want to keep Louisville closer to the east with the two seed. And they also want to make sure that they don't have a repeat of a conference team in those top four. So I'm really excited about this because I can't wait to predict the brackets with you because yeah. now that we know this, once they slot in um, once they slot in Oregon, then Arizona and UCLA are not going to the West. So once they slot in, you know, Arizona to a, Oregon to that number two spot and Gonzaga, then they can't send, then you know they're not going there. So that's what put UCLA to the East. But I thought that was really, really fascinating, the travel. Uh, I, didn't think it, I didn't think it was that heavily weighted. So, yeah, it was an eye-opening for me. And I think that's exactly what we wanted from this. We wanted more information on how they go ahead and make the decisions. And I think we got one part of it. And I kind of hope the next couple of weeks that they just release like another tidbit of like, oh, we also included this and weighed this heavily. And then that helps us put the equation together uh, coming in March. So I, I kind of like the slow reveal of the information that they're using and gathering to make these decisions. Uh, the only thing that stood out to me, and I was way off on this, and maybe I was just, you know, it's just my personal bias because I really like uh, Kading and, and Hayes, is that no Wisconsin anywhere. Oh, it's absurd. It's, yeah, like I, I had them up on a one line because they're uh, they only had three losses. They're they're leading a Power Five conference and have won big games on the road. Uh, I know they haven't had the uh, you know completely evenly weighted schedule in the in the Big Ten, but the fact that they weren't there at all was a little bit shocking to me. That's my my only like whoa! I can't believe that happened in uh, this particular situation. I think I went at it with John Rothstein on Twitter. Uh, you can't tell me Butler. And we'll get. I'll just finish three and four, and then we'll get to it. But you can't tell me yeah. that Butler, the fourth team in the Big East, is greater than Wisconsin, number one team in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is not the Mountain West. Okay, so we have to stop this here, please. And there has to be some point at which that matters to me. I had Wisconsin as a four. You talked me out of it. You made total sense. I'm like, how are they going to put the number one team as a four? You know what, Gus? They didn't put them in the top four yeah. at all. And that was before the loss to Northwestern. But my only quick, a couple more quick things, and we'll get we'll get on here. I, I'm sorry, people. I talked for two hours about this. I was so excited, but. I just have a couple issues with the threes and fours. Now, you know, the threes, they had Virginia, no problem there. Okay. Sure. Uh, I'm fine with that. That's a, that, by the way, that's a Gonzaga, Oregon, Virginia top three in the West bracket. Uh, the three, Arizona, also have no trouble there. That's a Kansas, Florida State, Arizona top three. Yeah. They put Kentucky as a three. I did have a problem with that. I felt that was name seeding. Kentucky has not proven that. 
They've had some bad losses. They haven't had any. I mean, they beat UNC. That was their big calling card win. But right. you can't tell me that they're really playing having lost. Was it three of four, three of five? I thought three was a little high for Kentucky. But once they did that, then obviously they put Florida three. Now, look, I like Florida. I think Florida's really good. I think he's done a great job. Gus, who have they beaten? I'll tell you right now. They beat Seton Hall 81-76. You're going to call that a big win? They lost to Gonzaga by five. Uh, they beat Miami. They lost to Duke in a game that wasn't close. They lost to Florida State. Uh, they beat Tennessee. Uh, they lost to South Carolina. They, like, they lost to Vanderbilt, and that's a three seed? I'm sorry. Yeah. I love what they've done, and they've won one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row. Really, the only game Florida's beaten that's really earned the three seed is the Kentucky game. But quite right. frankly, I don't think Kentucky should be a three either, so I had a little bit of a problem with that. And then the last thing, Gus, for me is the four seeds. They had UCLA as a four, making Villanova, Louisville, Kentucky, UCLA. That is a death bracket. Yeah. Um, they made um, Butler four. I think they're way off there. They made West Virginia four, which made no sense to me either over Purdue, by the way, who's super hot right now with your guy, Biggie. And then they made Duke a four. Again, I guess Coach K's not there. They're totally discounting it. But then why didn't they give it to Arizona? So Overall, I think they did a good job. They're consistent. I love the fact that the travel is a part of it. I'll be able to incorporate that when we try to predict the brackets. I think they messed up. You got to put a Big Ten team in there. But to me, a lot of fun. I love. I loved it. I also like that it's only a month out. I think if they did this like a little bit further away and there was more time between their first release and the actual selection Sunday, I think it would be a little bit overkill. But I think a month in between, I think it's going to garner just the right amount of attention and generate the proper amount of, uh, of, of activity and engagement from maybe like the casual fan and be like, oh, wait, I thought they didn't do that until March. Oh, they're just doing it this way. So I think they're going to get that fan. And then for, you know, for the junkies like us, we're going to break it down and, and talk about it like all week and drive the listeners crazy with it. So it, it works out great on all ends. I like it. All right. Uh, let's uh, end it up here, Gus, with a little bit Broadway. What do you say? Hey, listen, before we hop on Broadway, I just want to give a little shout out to the dog show at MSG. People are going crazy over this. It is now on Fox Sports 1. It is no longer on an uh, NBC-type network. So if you're looking for the dog show, find it on Fox Sports 1. Uh, And that will be the highlight on the marquee on the actual Broadway in MSG this week. So shout out to the dog show. You know what? I love – you know what? I love coonhounds. They're such nice dogs. Again, his knowledge is so diverse, folks. I love it. All right, let, let, let's let's go check out the marquee and, and check out the kennel club and, and walk down Broadway. What do you say? On Broadway. All right, Gus. If it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, I'm gonna lay on the couch. Fire away. Very good. Here we go, listeners. Tuesday night, Tennessee is gonna head to number thirteen, Kentucky. Cover your ears, folks. That's right. You're hearing it again. There's the buzzsaw. Will the slower pace keep trending in the right direction for the Wildcats? Are they going to keep solving the puzzle here? Or are they just going to look at this as like a get-back game and they're going to get back at Tennessee? Either way, I think Tennessee's in a little bit of trouble here. Get back and get right for Kentucky. Might as well keep those ears covered, people, because Rutgers is visiting number 16, Purdue. Oh, my goodness. Are, can we just call it right now? Are we just going to call another 2020 game for uh, for Swanigan in this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, bit, listen, 
Biggie is is a force. He's not going to be able to be stopped, especially at home. He gives those guards, Carson Edwards and those guys, a chance to really shine. I can't see this one being close, unless the spread is like 30 points, maybe they backdoor cover. But yeah, Purdue is really, really good. They got to be a top four seed. That's ridiculous, by the way. Uh, one more noisy one for you here on Tuesday. Dayton is going to head to St. Louis. They're going to get more floor time for Cunningham, get him more integrated. And when is more scoochie ever a bad thing? Uh, love Dayton. You know, it's a road game. They'll win. Uh, you know, could I see this Gus maybe being an 8 to 11 point win instead of a 30 point win? <laughs> you know, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. I love Dayton. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> One more Tuesday night game for you. Michigan State hosts Ohio State. Is there any re- is there any reason to have any interest in this game right now? Yeah, it's called a MOG game, M-O-G, Mother of God. There's your interest. Michigan State's <laughs> going to roll. I think Izzo's going to get angry. Uh, they lost in Ohio State, right? Uh, that's the game that my wife was, was very upset because I may have convinced her to make a wager. So <laughs> this is going to be a Mother of God game. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's move on to Wednesday night. Number 10, UNC hosts Tobacco Road Foe, NC State. Listen. NC State just plays directly into UNC's pace of play and the way the way that they defend. I think this is going to be an awesome game to watch. I think it's going to be up and down. And I think UNC, NC State, if we're going to look at the number there, take a look at that over number uh, when it comes out. That might be worth paying attention to. Yeah, really excited. Uh, uh, Dennis Smith is, is worth the price of admission. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. UNC is going to roll, but there's going to be some highlight top 10 sports center plays on this one. Yeah, that, I think that's what we're going to be looking for. Hey, how about this one? Huge nope. game. Best game nope. of the week. I can't wait. Sorry. <laughs> right on, Mike Randall. Yes, number 23, Maryland, heading to Northwestern. Huge implications here. I can't believe Northwestern won in Wisconsin without Scotty Lindsay. That is what I was begging the BT powerhouse guy to let me do, let me do that game. That was one of the greatest wins I've seen all year. Don't tell me it's hyperbole. They won in Wisconsin down screen, back screen, <laughs> slow it down. And without Scotty Lindsay, now they are hosting right there home in this one. They're hosting yep. they're hosting the Terrapins. Here comes Mello. He could get me to 20 points. He's so good. Northwestern needs this game. I think they're in the tournament. I put it on Twitter. I I think they're in the tournament right now regardless, unless they lose every single game the rest of the way. But then that's right. not going to happen. No, Lindsay still won't be there. I think it's mono from what I'm hearing, although that could have broke a HIPAA violation because I'm not supposed to say that. But if somebody put it out there, it's mono. But um, honestly, if you're, if you're listening, Scotty, I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> I think it's a great game. I can't wait to watch it. I'm happy for Northwestern. I'm thrilled for them. Maryland's been hot. I think Maryland needs this game, too, to sort of stay in that upper echelon with Purdue and Wisconsin because the argument is they haven't played anybody all year except for Purdue, right? right? Um, But I'm excited, really fired up for this game. Uh, How about the next game is like a little bit of loser leaves town, although they could both still make March, but it's still pretty interesting. Iowa State goes to Kansas State. Yeah, I, I love Iowa State in this spot. Yeah, I, you know, Monte Morris, I haven't given him enough credit. He really is doing a great job. He's got Burton there, who you never know what you're going to get out of him with the shoes and the whole thing. Prom's on a little bit of a hot seat there, too. I, I'm really happy for him. I'd I like to see him win this game. I think it's a coin flip. 
I'd probably take the home team, but you can convince me otherwise, bro. I'm just happy for Monte Morris. I think he's going to be a great pro. You're right on the money with that. I, I, st- I don't think he's going to sneak an All-American team because I, I don't think they're going to make a run unless they do. Um, maybe third team, but yeah. he's a special player. He's a special player. Yep. Love watching him play. Again, his assist-to-turnover ratio is like mind-boggling how efficient it is. Okay, you said that perhaps uh, Maryland and Northwestern is the game of the week. Some people might argue this one. Number 12, Duke, goes to number 14, Virginia. <sighs> Two teams I despise right now and don't think they're playing well. Uh, the team that everyone scores four points and averages 12 possessions a half. Or the team that can't rebound has no bench advantage team that scores six points a game. <laughs> I'll take Virginia because of the rebounding. I'm going to take Duke. Wow. I think they're going to get the ship righted, and wow. they're going to get the ship righted in Charlottesville, which wow. is like impossible to do. Big win. That'd be a huge one. Okay, let's hit Thursday real fast. Number 11, Wisconsin, coming off that tough loss to Northwestern, heads into Michigan. Michigan coming off that huge win over Michigan State. It How, how is this going to play out? Michigan is an enigma. They are the team, one of the teams that I've identified, that they make the tournament with those senior guards and Irvin and Rockman, um, Walton. Walton. They could be a major, major problem. Wagner's got to stay out of foul trouble, but they could be a problem. They've played very well at home. Wisconsin has not played well for three or four games now. They just lost at home to Northwestern. I'm taking Michigan because unless Nigel Hayes decides to finally wake up and put up a 25-12 and 12 game like I know he can, that team is going to struggle. Koenig is up and down. Hap is a hard worker, but sometimes the motor's too high, gets into foul trouble, he overcommits. I mean, we love that problem. Nigel yeah. Hayes, if they're winning this game, Gus, Nigel Hayes is not giving us 12 and 6. Okay, he's not giving us 14 and 8. He needs a big time performance like an All American does because Michigan, I think, with B line, is going to get hot. I'll take the Wolverines. Interesting. How about we go out to the West Coast for the next one? Utah is going to visit number seven, Oregon. Does Oregon get tripped up by the Utes, or are they going to continue to play well? No, Utes are out of the back cave. They're not. This is in Oregon. It's going to be loud. Phil Knight, the whole thing. No, I think Oregon takes them. Hey, how about we give a little shout to Middle Tennessee? Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, and that game is on CBS Sports Network, so I'll be dialing that thing up for sure. Yeah, I'm rooting for Middle Tennessee State. Kermit had a stumble there at UTEP. Uh, they talked about them on the selection show, saying that Middle Tennessee was an 11. Jerry Palm from CBS had it up there, mm-hmm. and they were asking him. Seth Davis said, "So basically, you think Middle Tennessee State is in, right? Because you're giving them an 11." He's like, "No." He goes, "They've had some bad losses early in the year. They had a loss at UTEP. If they lose again, or they mm-hmm. lose in the conference tournament, that's going to be four bad losses. It's going to be tough yep. for Middle Tennessee State with four bad losses to get in. Gosh, I hope they make it because they're so dangerous. This is a tough one. This is a really tough game, but I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take our Blue Raiders." I will as well, and I really again. How could you not be rooting for them after hearing Kermit Davis on the podcast? He's the best. Uh, here it is. It's your West Coast double shot. We got number one Gonzaga hosting San Francisco, and then we also have number twenty-two St. Mary's hosting Loyola Marymount. 
Will either one of our darlings get tripped up, Mike Randall? No, I, I, you know, Jock Landell have two fouls in the first minute, so he'll have to sit against Marymount. But I, I, Gonzaga's great. They're going to roll. They're, they're not going to, they, they haven't even had a close game, Gus. When's the last close game they had? Florida, maybe? I, I, yeah. They're that good. No, Gonzaga's going to roll, so is St. Mary's. I agree with both. I think that Loyola Marymount St. Mary's score is going to be lower than you think. However, uh, listeners, thank you. Thank you and thank you. Thank you for listening to Mike and I talk over everything college basketball related. Thank you for playing with our St. Mary's and Gonzaga silliness. Uh, we hope that you appreciate the attention that we're trying to give to these special programs, these special players, special coaches. Uh, we also want to say thank you, listeners out there. We are humbled by your attention, and thank you for giving us part of your week and plugging us into your earbuds, your car, or your uh, or your iPhone, or however you choose to consume the Screen the Screener podcast. Hey, thank you to Bell Jar. Thank you guys for bringing us in and out. Always love hearing you guys. And we want to say thank you to the technology department for putting in all those little like nooks and crannies. And I think they got the buzzsaw in there. I think they found a quote from Patino somewhere in there. That technology department really helping us out. Technology. Kansas won by four, didn't cover. I can't believe they won that game. <laughs> I can't either. The huge comeback. <laughs> hey, listeners, we'll catch up with you later on this week. Enjoy the games that we gave you a little preview for. And as always, we're humbled. We're honored. Thanks for giving us part of your week. Gus, last thing before we go. Does Luke Kennard screen? I think Luke Kennard screens. He comes off the screen, and then he's going to go screen the screener. That's a big game in UVA in Charlottesville. That's the one to pay attention to this week. Folks, we'll get back to you this week. We're so excited about the college basketball season. Please give us five stars on iTunes if you have a couple minutes. Next one could be Wednesday. Next one could be Thursday. We don't know. We don't know when it's coming because we're just when we get excited and we want to talk college basketball, we come down to the mic and we talk about it. So hang with us. It's coming. Screen the screener. We love you guys. Best time of the year. <laughs>